You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell him, might even be you. He knelt at the altar, and that was the end. He saved, and that's all that matters to him. My spiritual tummy. It can't take too much no, 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 no. One day a week Someone's got to come up and dance to this for me On Sunday he puts on his spiritual best And gives his language a spiritual rest He's just Snap a, your fingers He's just a fat little baby This is a real song he that someone sang And he told me maybe He sampled solid food once or twice But he says doctrine leaves him cool and All right, we can, we can cut it down there Okay, I had to start with this song. This is a real song by Amy Grant called Fat Baby. It came to my attention this week from Debbie LaRue. Thank you, Debbie. This came to my attention that this existed, and so Jess and I listened to this in the car for a while just to laugh out loud. But I want to I look at the lyrics here. There's some profound lyrics here. Um, can we go? Yeah, it, looked, it got blank. Did it die? Okay, here it goes. I know a man... Maybe you know him too. You never can tell. He might even be you. So we're doing a a kind of theme lately about spiritual maturity, right? About God transforming us. About us not being just babies, but growing into all that God has for us. And one of the temptations of a series like this is for us to listen and think about all the other people who need to hear it. And forget that we need to hear it. <laughs> that it might be us too. Go on. Let's keep going. Let's just skip, keep going. He knelt at the altar. I love this. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. I would never want to upset you guys. Do I ever upset you? I hope not. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. (laughs) Keep going. He's just a fat little baby. The end of the song, it just says fat, fat, fat little baby over and over. I'm not sure how politically correct that is anymore. But but listen, as Christians, we we can go away from that. As Christians, right, this whole point, coming to Christ, is not just to receive his grace. It is absolutely a climactic moment in our lives as humans. As humans, we are designed to have relationship with God. And what we've seen from the beginning of time is that we mess that up, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and what he does on the cross is bridge that gap between us and God again. That's salvation. That's his grace. But if that's all it ever becomes to us, We become, like Amy Grant says, fat little babies. Where we get fed or we come to church or or maybe we do just a little bit of spiritual things in our lives. And yes, we have salvation, but yet we don't actually grow. We don't mature. You know, that first message I had, it talked about being perfect like he is perfect. And and that God puts his, his holiness on us, but yet we're still being made holy, as the Hebrews writer said. There's this process that every one of us is in. And the challenge I would like to just start with is, as you listen today, always be looking at yourself in the mirror, not others. <laughs> I know it's tempting. It's 
tempting to look at those closest to us and be like, man, they really needed to hear that message. Listen, I heard so many compliments from last week's message. Not a single one said, I needed to hear that. Everyone told me I needed to share this with somebody. (laughs) Which is why I wanted to play this song. Because the truth is, we need to hear it. When we read scripture and the Holy Spirit comes in our life, it's for us. You know, he first wants to change you, and then through you, he changes people. But the message that God is speaking, and and listen, I know it's me up here, and I make jokes, and we sing dumb songs here and there. But there's a place where God wants to speak to you, and he wants to hold a mirror up in front of your life. And I would challenge you today, make sure you're letting him do that to you before you start thinking of others. Is that okay? Can I pinch us a little bit? All right. Fat little baby. It's going to be stuck in my head forever. Um, I just can't believe someone read this song. What year was it? Did anybody know? Google it, somebody. I just can't picture that at some point someone read that song and was like, this is going to be a hit. <laughs> Maybe it was Amy Grant she wrote it. I'm sorry, Amy Grant. Um, but that's a funny one. All right, so Matthew 6. Let's open our Bibles today. Uh, the topic today is a big one. I really think that, I, I've talked on this a number of times throughout the years, but it honestly can't be talked about too much. And I kind of paired the subject today, you know, two subjects together, because I think they go hand in hand, forgiveness and judgment. That there's this place where forgiveness matters so drastically to us, and, and of course we've focused, if you've come to church at all in your life, if you call yourself a Christ follower, If you've experienced Jesus, you understand his forgiveness. You understand what he did on the cross. But there's this place where there's forgiveness that is required from us. And then it it really is married in its understanding with this idea of judgment. And so I want to talk about that today. But I want to start from some scripture in Matthew 6. And if you know Matthew 6 at all, Matthew 6 is where Jesus teaches his disciples the Our Father prayer, which we've read through many times in this room. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. So you see this stuck right into the middle of this important prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. And that which we've recited, but really it's kind of a formula for our lives as we come in prayer. Like, what should we look like? How should we approach God in prayer? And we see this one line in there that says, forgive us as we. And I love that because they're connected. They're not separate. Forgiveness from Jesus is connected to our forgiveness for others. And we see Jesus actually immediately expound on that right after this prayer. So it gets to the bottom of the prayer and it says, and don't let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And verse 14, the next scripture, Jesus in this moment feels he has to expound on this. If he picks anything out of this prayer, he picks this forgiveness one. And he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. Great news. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. That's a scary verse. That there's literally a hinge point of God's forgiveness over us 
based on our forgiveness for others, based on our releasing of others. And there's, you know, there's this struggle that we think about when it comes to forgiveness. And, and as, as humans, as just people in general, our nature is that when something unjust has happened to us, we crave for justice to be done. And it's actually a right thing. We see it from God. We see it all throughout the scriptures that God is a just God. So there's this justice aspect that's built into us because we're like him, because he's created us in his image. There's this just aspect. So when wrong has been done, we crave for justice. And I, I want to kind of land on a thought here to challenge that justice and forgiveness are not always the same thing and aren't exactly exclusive of each other either. So if justice does not happen in a situation, does not keep us from offering forgiveness, and vice versa. That there's a place that even if something has been done to us or wrong has been done in the world and justice doesn't take place, there's a place where we can still offer forgiveness and not say it was right. I think sometimes we think that too. It's like, well, if I forgive that person, it's as, it's as if I'm saying it's okay. No, that's not true. It's okay for something to be unjust and still be forgiven. Guess why? Because it was done for you. That's the whole point of this. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's this, this married idea that God's forgiveness over us because we have committed acts that are unjust towards people, towards God, towards ourselves. And there's this free offering of forgiveness to us even if we haven't remedied our unjust actions. That's one of the greatest parts of salvation. That is, honestly, the greatest part of Christianity. We have all committed lots of wrongs in our life. We have hurt people in unjust ways, and we have never remedied those situations, yet Jesus comes and still offers us forgiveness. But in that, he's asking us for to act the same way. He's saying people may have wronged you, they may have hurt you, you can still offer them forgiveness. Now, here's another caveat to forgiveness. It doesn't always take away every consequence. I think Jesus forgives us and still allows us to suffer consequences. Now, luckily, his forgiveness does shield us from the worst consequence, eternal death and separation from him. Being sent to a place we call hell. Like, that's a great consequence that gets avoided. But yet, I'll tell you what, there are times where I know Jesus has forgiven me for actions on this earth, yet I've still suffered the consequences of those actions. I've still had to deal with them on this side. I've still had to walk through issues with people and, and, and asking for forgiveness of people and people still being mad at me and maybe never wanting to see me again. There's still a place where there's all the consequences of forgiveness don't always equal what we would hope it would. And so we see this kind of back and forth that Jesus says here, and he says, if you forgive, your Father in heaven will forgive you, but if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. And I think this has to be one of the first premises that we understand as Christians who want to grow, as Christians who want to look like Christians, 
as people who want to follow Christ, if we are not marked as people of forgiveness, I'm not sure we're growing in the way God wants us to grow. If you want the world to question why you're different, forgive people who don't deserve it. It's confusing, isn't it? Literally confusing. Why would you forgive that person? They wronged you in this horrific way. Why are you offering forgiveness? It literally causes this question. You know, in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul writes, you know, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. There's this place where I think the world should look at our lives and question our actions enough to say, why are you doing that? In a good way, a good question. And, and when I think about maturity and looking like Jesus, one of the things he did is forgive in ways that made absolutely no sense. He's hanging on the cross, nails through his hands, bleeding to death, whipped in scourge, wearing a crown of thorns, and some of his last words are this, Father, forgive them. I literally can't imagine it, actually. I know we over-spiritualize moments like that, like, wow, look at Jesus. But he was a man. He had just been unjustly wronged in ways we really can't fathom. And yet he whispers the words, Father, forgive them. This is what God calls us to look like. And now, I, listen, I'm far from that forgiveness ability. But there's a place where God wants to draw us. Jesus wants to draw us closer to him. And if we want to look like what he looks like, and if we want the world to be interested in Jesus, there's this place where forgiveness has to be something we're known for. Forgiveness of whatever has happened to us. Now again, I want you to understand the caveat. Forgiveness is not permission to do something again. <laughs> permission doesn't, or forgiveness doesn't mean you don't have healthy boundaries in your life. But forgiveness is simply this, releasing people from what you think is holding them in a prison, but really it's releasing yourself from being controlled by them. I want to read this scripture out of Matthew 18, where Jesus kind of, we'll turn a few chapters there, Jesus gives this parable. And it's kind of a rough parable because he's trying to, he's trying to send home this idea of forgiveness. So Matthew 18 a lot of us know Matthew 18 because there's a whole section of Scripture there, verse 15 through something, 15 through 19, where Jesus is talking about reconciling with each other. He's talking about this reconciliation path that if someone hurts you, go to them, and if they don't hear you, then take a brother, and if they don't hear you, then go to the church. And, and then at the end it says, if, you know, if they haven't heard you, then treat them as a pagan or tax collector. And of course, sometimes we get that wrong. We think that, that means that we should shun them. But truthfully, Jesus ate with pagans and tax collectors. He just didn't have high expectations of them. And I think that sometimes our forgiveness aspect is we're going to offer forgiveness now, but we're just not going to have many expectations for that person to act like they ought to. But we'll treat them in a right way. And then we get to this parable in verse 21 because Peter decides to follow up this whole teaching from Jesus about from Matthew 18, with a question. In verse 21, it says, Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now, Peter thinks he's really spiritual in this moment. He wants to give an answer. So he thinks he's asking a rhetorical question. 
And then he wants to answer for Jesus to show how smart he is. And so he says, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, it might sound like a lot, but it really wasn't just a, a number. He was trying to use this number of completion, right? Seven is this, this idea of perfect completion. It's like, like seven is that, you know, holy number. And so he was saying that as kind of a good Hebrew boy. Hey, I should do it seven times, right? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times 7. So Jesus then ups the ante in this situation, and he takes two numbers that in the Hebrew faith, in Judaism, understood as really these numbers of completion, 70 and 7, and he times them. And if you look through history of the Hebrew faith, that number 490, it literally meant, it was like the highest understanding of perfect completion. If you could get levels of perfection, that was the highest one. And it literally just meant fullness. It can't be anymore. It was a number meant to put out there like, it's endless. And so Jesus ups this ante 70 times 7. And then he goes on, verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared. And he goes on to teach this parable. So let's read it together. Compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Now listen to that. You've got a king. You've got a guy that owes him millions of dollars. And he's going to sell him and his whole family to pay for the debt. And he says, Be patient with me. I will pay it all. And the king doesn't agree to that. It says he forgave his debt. He forgave it. He literally just says, okay, I, I, I have pity on you. He's having this compassionate moment, and he forgives his debt. So now the guy doesn't have to pay it back at all. Verse 28, but when the man left the king, so the same man, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they were very they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called to the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. That doesn't sound like friendly Jesus. Listen to that. These are harsh words. I know that God is love, but he's also justice. 
And so in this place where God is love and he offers forgiveness and grace freely, like we understand from the cross, it actually does come still with a cost to us. I know, we like, I know we don't like to say that in our doctrine in Christianity, like, well, no, the, the gift of grace is free. It is, but it's still costly. If you can somehow wrap your mind around it, there's this cost. It requires of us to then act like him. It requires of us to do the same thing that he did for us. So if our debt is forgiven... If, if our sins are forgiven, if, if those things, our trespasses have been forgiven, just like we see in this story, we are called to have mercy on those around us and offer the same forgiveness to them. And Jesus goes as far to say, because he talks about the king throwing him in prison to be tortured. He says, my heavenly father will do the same to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. And I love this. It says, from your heart. You see, Jesus kind of ups the ante just a little bit in this moment by saying from your heart, because we understand as Christians what we're supposed to say sometimes. And so we'll say the right thing, because we've maybe grown enough to understand that our language does matter like we talked about last week. And so we pray a prayer, or we say, you know, I forgive you, but yet something is still happening within our heart. And Jesus wants to get really to the heart of our lives. He's not interested always just in what our external actions look like. He wants to really get to the place where our heart is being shaped by him. And so he goes to the heart of this issue. He says, if you do not forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You see, the heart is a lot more difficult thing to deal with than the external parts of our body. Because it's intangible, right? Like trying to get hold of how we feel in our heart is, is often sometimes a struggle. We don't even know. And honestly, it changes, right? If you read in the Old Testament, it talks about the heart being evil and wicked above all things. Who can know it, it says. That there's this place where our own heart sometimes betrays us, right? It's like we know what we're supposed to do but yet our heart betrays us and we still have these emotions that pull us back to this place. But Jesus is talking now about transforming the very thing in our life that can be fickle, our heart. I don't know about you, but do you have a fickle heart? I do. Some days I feel great and I'm full of love for people and other days I'm just an ornery person. Because my heart changes. But Jesus, he wants to get to the very thing that makes us up, this heart issue in us. And he wants to transform that issue so that even when we offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us, it isn't some surface thing. It's actually some internal thing that's happened. If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, if we want to look like Jesus, if we want to Please, our Father in heaven, if we want to be Christ followers, there's this place where forgiveness has to mark our lives, and it can't be surface forgiveness. I mean, have you ever tried to make your kids apologize to each other? Like, sometimes that's what we're doing, even as adults. Maybe we're not gritting our teeth and making it as obvious. But I'll be like, hey, say you're sorry. And they're like, I'm sorry. Now you say you're forgiver. I forgive you. It's like... Did I really mean anything? 
They're just waiting until dad's eyes are averted and they're going to do it again. There's this place where God's like, I don't care necessarily about this surface thing. I want you to actually go to the heart of the issue and issue forgiveness because you've understood it. I want to go now to Luke 7, another parable that Jesus talks about forgiveness. Luke 7, verse 36. says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt before him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So you've got this display. You know, the Bible even knows it needs to tell us this certain immoral woman. I mean, she was known in the area for not being a really righteous person how she acted and what her life was about. But she comes weeping with tears and she says that she pours this alabaster jar out and, and history would tell us that sometimes those perfumes would literally be worth a year's wages. And she's pouring it out on Jesus in this probably really awkward way and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair, kissing his feet. This is not normal custom, so you know. To wash someone's feet could be a thing, but to wipe it with your hair, to kiss your feet, this is a little bizarre. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. But Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Why do you, who do you suppose loved him more for that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus shares this story about two debtors that are both forgiven, one with a large debt and one with a small debt, and he compares it to this woman who's now acting in this extravagantly, really awkward way that's made the religious people of the day uncomfortable, and he goes on to explain that she's understood the amount that she's been forgiven. So she acts in forgiveness in an extraordinary way. And, he's, and you know, another scripture in one of the other gospels says, he who has, forgiven, who has been forgiven much forgives much. He who has been forgiven little forgives little. And I think this is really important to us to understand that if we struggle with forgiveness for others, it might be based in the fact that we're not really grasping the amount we've been forgiven. 
Have you ever walked with anybody in your life that's maybe shared something vulnerable to you that you struggled with yourself? They, they open up their life and they say, hey, I, I have this struggle in my life, and maybe it's something you used to struggle with, or maybe something you're still struggling with. Is it, is it a place where you immediately condemn them, or mostly you have some compassion? Why? Because you lived it. You understand what they're going through, and, and you look at yourself, and you know that maybe it's not your intention, but you know that this way that you've been acting isn't right, and so you have compassion for yourself, and it's able now to have compassion for that person. This is what Jesus is talking about. There, there's a place where if we understand the forgiveness that has come over our own lives, it makes it possible for us to forgive others well. You know, I think Justin said this once. I don't know if he stole from someone else, but... It's stuck in my head. It's, we always judge others on their actions, but we always judge ourselves on our intentions. We do something wrong, and we tend to, to say, well, I didn't mean it that way. I didn't intend it that way. And so we give ourselves all this grace, but then someone else's actions come, and we judge them on their actions. And so we struggle to issue forgiveness. But when we start to understand and really grasp what Jesus has done for us or how we've been forgiven as humans and people, then as an individual in our lives, it becomes a lot easier for us to have compassion to offer forgiveness to others. And so my challenge today, the first challenge I have is this, that when you look in the mirror of your life, when you look in the mirror of who you are as a Christian and how God wants to grow you, you have to ask him to help illuminate to you how much you've been forgiven. For some of us, it's easier than others. <laughs> some of us, maybe our actions were a little louder on the uh, need forgiveness side. <laughs> and then for some, it's like maybe you've just forgotten. Maybe it's been a long time since you've remembered what God has done for you. But there's this place that if we can hold, honestly, even close a little bit in the rearview mirror of our lives, the forgiveness that Jesus has offered for us, it becomes so much easier for us to actually issue that forgiveness for others. In Luke 6, just a chapter back from there. And this is where I want to kind of switch the idea and, and kind of end on this idea of judgment. Because what happens for us and the why we struggle, I think, to issue forgiveness is because we've rendered judgment over people. And when we render judgment, you see, judgment isn't just an idea that we have about somebody. It's actually a, a thought that, like, if you think about a courtroom, when a judge actually judges, it's a decision that's been made. I've, I've rendered judgment over this court case. I've rendered judgment over this situation. And so judgment isn't just an idea or a thought or a feeling about someone or something. It's actually when we've kind of settled into a decision about someone or something. And there's this place where Jesus, he gets to, in Luke 7, I want to just read one scripture in verse 27. I love this, or Luke 6, 27. He says, but to you who are willing to listen... I've loved this scripture forever because Jesus even understood that many of us don't want to listen. <laughs> and he goes on to talk about loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who hurt you. 
And he goes on to talk about what that looks like. But in verse 37, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. He puts these things together, forgiveness and judgment. Then it says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I know we've used that scripture when it comes to money because it's just easy. It's like, oh, look, if you give, God's going to give back to you. But we actually forget the context in which God is, or Jesus is saying that. He's saying it when it talks about forgiveness. That Jesus is saying, if you cannot judge each other, if you can actually give forgiveness, then give and you will receive. So he's saying, give forgiveness, you'll receive forgiveness. And then the gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and pouring lap. It's this idea of this lavish amount. And I think that we know that to be the truth. It's like, even as much as we muster up this ability to forgive someone, how much more has our Heavenly Father forgiven us? It's an immeasurable amount. It says it's pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That the forgiveness over our lives is literally running over. And that that helps to determine how much we actually forgive. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others. That's where I believe this judgment. I know that sometimes, and I want to give you some space in this because we all have feelings about other people. And they're not always good feelings. We have thoughts and ideas about other people, but there's a place from when we maybe have feelings about them where we cross a line into judgment. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You know, there's other situations where Jesus talks about judging, and I've heard Christians say, oh, God calls us to judge. He almost, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where he calls us to judge a person. He calls us to judge situations. He calls us to judge the times. He does use it when it talks about the church. There's judgment there. But there's this place where, as individuals, he tells us not to judge. And that judgment is not just the idea of having a thought or a feeling. It's when we've rendered a decision about somebody. The story that I, I think about in this is in Luke 8. I thought actually, is it Luke 8? I don't even know. It's John 8. John 8 is the story of the woman caught in adultery. She gets dragged out and she's, you know, by law she could be stoned to death. And Jesus goes through this whole thing and all the people end up leaving where, where they don't have this judgment over her. And then he says these words, neither do I condemn you. And that word condemn and the word judgment are nearly one in the same. They're just slightly different in the, the Greek and Hebrew language. There's this place where when we've rendered a decision, when we've actually condemned someone, that's the judgment he's talking about. It's when we start to believe that someone else can't change. Do you ever do that? I do. There's a place where maybe I've been around the, this is what I always say, around the mountain with someone way too many times. 
We don't want to live on the same merry-go-round with the same person over and over in our lives. And so we end up start to render a judgment because someone maybe has repeated actions and we render this judgment like they'll never change. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, don't do that. Don't render a judgment over someone's life because if you can change, guess what? They can change. Jesus can redeem anyone. He can save anyone. And there's a place where God's heart is for everyone. And the challenge to us Christians is that we're supposed to see the world with the same eyes that Jesus sees them. We're supposed to see our brothers and sisters with the same eyes that Jesus sees them. That we're supposed to have this place where we look at them with different lenses. And we don't render judgment over them, but we actually issue forgiveness freely. This is what Jesus calls us to. Luke 6, verse 41. Let me end with these thoughts. Jesus says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrites. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. There's this place where it's so easy for us to criticize and judge others, yet God really wants to transform us first. It's easy for us to tear down, like I talked about with language. It's easy for us to complain about others. It's easy for us to issue judgments and render decisions over other people's lives and what they're never going to be capable of or what they'll never do. But yet, Jesus at the same time is challenging us to say, look at your own eye. And every one of us here, this is the comfortable part. We all got logs. I've got logs in my eyes. You've got logs in your eyes. Some come out easier than others. And we're all in process. That is what grace is really about. That just as you are right now, Jesus accepts you. But just as you are right now, Jesus doesn't want to leave you there. James 4, 11 through 12 says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? God alone is the judge. He's the one that renders decisions over people's lives. He's the one that renders judgment at the end of all of this. Only him. And as mature Christians, there's a place where as we get closer to Jesus and as we grow closer knowing who we are, we should have more compassion for forgiveness than ever before. I've made this statement many times. Paul, throughout his writings, he starts with calling himself an apostle and nearly ends with calling himself the chiefest of sinners because as he gets closer to Jesus, he starts to realize how much more he's been forgiven. And if you're struggling today with relationships and with forgiveness and those things, sometimes it's just hard for us to make a decision to go and forgive, even though I think you can. Start this way. Ask Jesus to show you how much you've been forgiven.
Romans 8.1. Why don't we stand? End with this scripture. Jesus says, or Paul writes, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None of us are condemned if we belong to Jesus. None of us have done anything so wrong that Jesus' forgiveness can't reach us if we accept his grace. And I want to take a moment, and I'm going to have Justin end, but I would like for us to take a moment and to give an opportunity for every one of us to ask for forgiveness again. Because I think that a lot of times when we struggle with offering forgiveness and even feeling you know, or um, being condemning over others, it's because we're feeling that way ourselves. We look in the mirror and we don't feel forgiven. We look in the mirror and we feel condemned. We don't feel the grace that Jesus has over us. And that can begin. Sometimes it's like you have to go back and capture it again. You know, Jesus, honestly, in one of his scriptures, he says, now that you're free, make sure that you stay free. There's a place where we need to stay free in the grace that Jesus has given us. And so I think we need to all ask for forgiveness again. God, forgive us right where we're at so that we can forgive those against us. I'll have Justin come up. And I'm going to go to Matthew 16, 19 in a minute. That's Matthew 16, 19. But before we do, this passage in Romans chapter 8, says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if there's a, a condemnation in your mind, if you, if you feel condemned, Paul says, that's not God. That's somebody else. That's something else. That's someone else. But Jesus also says that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. And there's a place where we need to be convicted. We need to recognize. But it's not from a place of being condemned. If you feel condemned, if you feel marked, if you feel like this judgment over you, that's not God. It might be somebody else, or it might be the accuser speaking into you. But God is here to offer forgiveness. And and as Greg says, we want to take this, this moment to receive forgiveness again. And I want to go to, to Romans um, chapter 6 and verse 19, and there's a lot here. Maybe I'll speak on it in a couple weeks. Bruce, mes- Bruce mentioned this a couple weeks ago, where Jesus says, speaking to Peter and, and, and speaking to the church and speaking to us, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Other translation says, whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed here on earth. And what, what Jesus is saying here is that we have great power. We have the ability to offer forgiveness. We have the ability to loose each other's chains. We also have the ability to withhold it. As, as Greg talked about earlier, that even as, as Greg said last week, talking about the power of the tongue and how there's so much power in the words that we speak, we have the immense ability. Jesus gives us the ability to forgive and to loose each other's chains, to set people free. 
for you to be set free. That should, that should be a weight that we carry, not a convicting weight, not a condemning weight, but one that we need to wrestle with, that we have the ability to speak life into each other and to receive life ourselves. Why don't we pray? God, we thank you that you are not one who condemns, that you came not, as Jesus said, to judge the world, but to forgive. So God, as we receive this forgiveness, maybe it's for the first time, maybe it's for the thousandth time, as we receive your forgiveness today, God, help us to offer it to each other. Help us to use the keys that you've given us to unlock people's prisons, to unlock people's chains, that our words would be able to bring life to others. God, that we would leave justice in your hands because you are a just God. But God, as, as we forgive, as, as we release people, God, we pray for your freedom to reign over our hearts, over our minds, over our homes. God, over this region. I imagine many of us can think of somebody that we need to forgive. We need to release. We need to put that key in that lock and let it go. I encourage you, maybe grab a card, maybe grab a pen and just write it down. I write, I have a, a notes on my phone. Make a note to myself to do something about that. God, we thank you that you come to remind us, that you come to lead us into truth. Holy Spirit, that you both lead us into truth, you remind us of all the things that Jesus said, but you also come to convict us and to, to push us and to lead us to forgive and to receive that forgiveness. God, as we offer that today, I pray that every person walks away not feeling condemned, but walks away with hope and a greater sense of, of forgiveness and freedom in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We get to enjoy each other's company. I encourage you not, not to run out the door, but grab a bagel, grab a cup of coffee, a juice, love on each other. Check out the new baby that the walls have right there. Man, Andy and Amanda, beautiful boy. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.